14. Mark 14. Uh, it's been a while, right, since we've been in Mark. We're jumping back into um, our Sunday night study of the Gospel of Mark. And um, remember that we are in the last week of Jesus. Um, we uh, the, It's easy to forget because we spent so much time on Mark chapter 13, right, which uh, was Jesus' teaching about... Uh, the destruction of the temple and the end and those two things were kind of woven together throughout that chapter and it was a lengthy um, teaching on Jesus' part and so it feels sort of like we've hit pause on the narrative right, that Mark is telling us uh, and so it's important for us to remember that we're already in the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion and um, we've picked that story back up now in chapter 14, and tonight we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. So let me read those for us. Mark 14, beginning in verse 1, says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Uh, when we read the story like that, it's quite a study in contrast, right? On either side, uh, you have the religious leaders wanting to arrest Jesus, wanting to kill Jesus, and then you have Judas willing to betray Jesus for money. And then in the middle, you have somebody who's willing to sacrifice for Jesus, somebody who's, willing, who's honoring Jesus. And um, it's a very poignant um, moment in the story, right? And it's significant that uh, Mark tells us, reminds us really, um, that it is getting close to Passover time. It's two days uh, to the Passover um, this uh, Jesus' death right, coincides with Passover, which is significant because um, Jesus fulfills the Passover by his death. Remember at the Passover, um, God told the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and to put its blood on the doorway so that the, 
uh, judgment of the death of the firstborns would pass over the houses of the Israelites and then God would bring them out of Egypt. Paul says Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the one who sacrificed in our place to deliver us from God's judgment. So this is significant, and um, we'll probably talk more about that when we get to the, the Last Supper, um, um, hopefully next week. And um, so it's happening at Passover, right? That's significant. Um, and uh, that explains why the religious leaders, though they want to get rid of Jesus, they're cautious about when they are going to do this. Uh, because at the Passover, people would flood into Jerusalem from all over, Jews from all over the place would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And um, the people who would come, uh, you, as you would imagine, uh, these are not sort of the... Trying to think uh, what word to use. They're not. They're not nominal Jews, right? They're not. They're not people who are. Well, I was born a Jew. I live in Israel. I try to, you know, do the basic things. These are people who are willing to pack up all their stuff and leave their home and make a journey all the way to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this feast. These are people who take their faith very seriously, right? Who would be aware of the significance of the Passover and um, what they are remembering, what they are reenacting, right? This massive redemption that God accomplished um, uh, back in the Old Testament. And uh, some of the people, at least, who are coming to Jerusalem would be aware of the things that have been going on for the last three years in Jesus' ministry. Some of them had probably heard Jesus teach. Maybe some of them had witnessed one of Jesus' miracles. Uh, And so if... Uh, you have a crowd of eager, excited, religiously motivated people who think that Jesus might be the Messiah who have gathered in massive numbers into Jerusalem. That's not when you want to put him in jail and put him to death. Right? Because some of those people are going to say, wait a minute, what if he's the Messiah? What, what if he's the one God has sent to deliver us? What, is, what if this is the time where God is going to rescue us from Rome like he rescued us from Egypt? What if he's going to use Jesus to do it and you guys are trying to get rid of him? They were going to have a, a, a riot on their hands, right, if they tried to do that. So that's why it says, they said to themselves, you know, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. We don't want this, we don't want this to be a big public thing right now when everybody's excited and gathered in large numbers. That would not be a good idea. So they're wanting to kill him, right? wanting to arrest him, but they want it to be secret and they don't want it to be during the feast when a bunch of people will, will be upset about it. So that's scene one, right? Then scene two, Jesus is in Bethany, which is not far at all from Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem is on a mountain, more or less, where the temple is. Um, and at the base of the mountain, there's a valley. And then on the other side of that valley is a little mountain called the Mount of Olives. And that's where Bethany is. So, I mean, you can see Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And depending on what side of the mountain Bethany was on, you could see Jerusalem from Bethany. So he's not far away from there at all. This is apparently where he was spending his, his nights. He would come into Jerusalem during the day and teach or do whatever. And then he would go back out in the evenings and he would... Um, 
stay in Bethany for the night. So he's in Bethany at the house of this man called Simon the leper. I don't know why he's called Simon the leper. Presumably he'd been healed of his leprosy or most people wouldn't hang out at his house. I mean, Jesus would have, Jesus would have healed him. So probably he's been healed, but for what maybe he was a leper for so long, this is now how they refer to him. I don't know. But that's what he's called, Simon the leper. And Simon is extending hospitality to Jesus and his disciples. And they're at the table, um, probably sharing a meal together. And uh, this woman comes in. Right? A woman comes in with this flask of ointment, <clears throat> something that's very costly, uh, think of, um, you know, really, really expensive perfume or something like that. It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, very expensive. They say, uh, you know, later, um, some of them say it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, right? And a, a denarius, is, you'll have a note in your Bible that'll tell you that's a day's wage for a laborer. So think of what a working man makes in a year. That's about how much this costs. I mean, that's a lot of money. You know, how, how many of us have a savings account that has a year's wages in it? Well, you know, not a whole lot of people, right? So, but that's what this woman had. Um, and she approaches Jesus. She breaks the flask. So this is not the kind of thing where she just takes a little bit of this expensive thing and sort of sprinkles it on Jesus. She, she breaks open the whole thing. Right? And she pours it over his head. It's an, it's an extravagant gesture, right? It is uh, a um, massive sacrifice that this woman is making as she pours this um, over Jesus. And so there are some people there who they don't say it out loud, but they're thinking to themselves, right? Verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Um, it tells you a little bit about what they think about Jesus, right? To a certain extent, this is wasteful to pour this out on Jesus. It's unnecessary. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And the reason they give for that is you could have sold it and given the money to the poor, and then it would have been better used, right? Um, And so we don't know what they said to her, Mark doesn't tell us, but he does say they scolded her, right? So they may not have used those words that they were using in their minds, but they did let her know they thought this was a bad idea, right? You should not have done this. Uh, Probably told her that was wasteful, that was foolish, something like that. So they didn't think much about it. Right? They did not have a very high view of this act. But Jesus did. Right? And, um, you know, just sort of at the surface level, one of the things that that reminds us is that sometimes even, you know, other Christians will criticize us for things that we do uh, and tell, make us think that they were terrible, bad decisions, and God says, no, that was actually a good thing. I'm glad you did that. Um, So uh, sometimes some of us are more inclined to think that our critics are right by default, right? Some some people are a little more defiant. (laughs) I have have strong conviction that I was right, and I don't care what you think, right? And sometimes it depends on what the thing is. Some of us, 
if anybody says that was a bad decision, we immediately start second-guessing ourselves. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. We don't know how this woman felt, right? But we do know how Jesus responded. When the people criticized her, he said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You think it was wasteful? You think it was needless? You think it was foolish? I say it was beautiful. I say it was good. Now, uh, why the difference of opinion, right? Why the different view of this action? Why do some think it was wasteful while Jesus says that it was beautiful? The, the key here, uh, or one of the keys here, is timing. Right? Notice what Jesus says in verse 7. He ex- explains why he says this is, why this is beautiful. He says, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do for them, but you will not always have me. And so uh, part of the reason why this action is appropriate and even beautiful is that Jesus' departure is approaching and this woman is uh, showing how valuable and precious she believes Jesus is, probably knowing herself, based on things that Jesus has said, that he's not going to be around much longer. Right, that's at least how Jesus explains it, right? And explains why it's significant. Probably the woman herself knew. Maybe she listened to Jesus when he said, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Right, maybe she heard people saying, yeah, Jesus keeps talking about being handed over and dying and rising. And none of us can figure out what he's talking about, but he keeps mentioning it. You know, perhaps she grasped those statements better than some of his disciples did. We don't know for sure, but that's part of how Jesus explains this. You're complaining because you think this could have been given to the poor. Well, you always have opportunities to give to the poor. You don't have many more opportunities to give to me, right? to, to show um, your love and admiration for me, which is what this woman has just done. Also... There seems to be, and I don't want to overread this, so you tell me what you think. There seems to be a subtle rebuke in verse 7 in how many times Jesus makes clear um, that he's talking to the people who are criticizing and not to the woman, right? He says, you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want you can do good for them. Like, leave her alone. She made a decision about what to do with what she possessed. Who are you to say what she should have done with it, right? You think you should have given that to the poor. Well, guess what? You can give to the poor whenever you want. (laughs) Stop complaining about this woman. Not, you know, she could have sold that and given to the poor. Well, she could have. But that's, it's not yours, right? And it's not yours to decide what she ought to have done with. Uh, you right, can do what you want with what you have. Seems to be, impl- again, maybe I'm over-reading that. You, you judge for yourselves. But I, I feel like there's a, there's a little bit of, re- of rebuke there. Yes, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, it's looking at John 12, 
Yeah. Right, where his heart was. Yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, I'm trying to look and see. Judas, uh, it even tells us, um, let's see, I don't want to say this if it's not right. Um, yeah, this is John 12, 6. He, it, it's, he, it says, he said this about why was it not sold. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So, yeah, John reveals further layers about this that Mark doesn't tell us that um, it's not even out of a genuine concern for the poor that Judas is grumbling about this. It's, a con- it's grumbling because if she had sold it and given it to the disciples to give to the poor, then he could have got his fingers on some of it. Um, and so when you read that in John... And then you look at this in Mark, where right after this incident, that's where Judas goes to betray Jesus. You know, you can kind of connect some dots there, right? This not doesn't appear to be merely coincidental that um, Judas goes to betray Jesus at this time. All right, so, um, so he rebukes them, right, for their criticism of her action says that it's beautiful, says that it was a a good decision, partly because he's only going to be there for so long, right? He's about to die. And then he explains further why what she did was was beautiful and good and significant. Verse 8, he says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Again, we, we don't know for sure how much of what she was doing she understood, right? But it's very possible, if not likely, that she had been paying attention to what Jesus said, believed what he said, and knew what was coming, and uh, because of that, uh, took this action, right, to uh, anoint him, right, to to pour out these uh, precious uh, this um, precious ointment on him uh, ahead of his burial, right? knowing that he was about to die. Now, she almost certainly wouldn't have known that when Jesus died, there would not be time to prepare his body for burial. Um, and so we find um, you know, some of the women uh, going to the tomb on Sunday morning, bringing uh, spices and things to properly prepare Jesus' body for burial because they were barely able to get him, get his body off the cross and into the tomb before the Sabbath dawned and they weren't allowed to work anymore and then they had to rest for a day. So then Sunday morning, they're coming to the tomb to you know, more fully prepare his body for burial, which they never get to do because he rose from the dead, right? So this is the closest anybody gets to uh, providing for him uh, part of what would be a proper burial, right? And she does it um, just a couple of days ahead of his death. So I think with his statement there, uh-huh. I think she, I mean, I think he's saying she has some understanding. Yeah, I think so too. She might understand, but she, he knows her heart that she has some understanding. Yeah, says that. yeah, I think so too. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Probably didn't understand it, but she believed in it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, um, so she does this beautiful thing, right? And it's so significant that Jesus says in verse 9, wherever the gospel is preached, people are going to tell this story like we're doing right now, right? This story is going to be remembered um, for as long as the gospel is proclaimed and as far and wide as the gospel is spread, people are going to hear about what she did. You guys have gotten it so wrong (laughs) that not only was what she did good, but I'm telling you, this story is going to get repeated over and over and over because it's so significant, it's so appropriate, it's so... Uh, powerful a story uh, that it's going to continue to be told. Right now, um, what she did uh, cannot be repeated. Right? I mean, we don't we don't have the opportunity. Jesus is not physically here. Right? We can't do the same kind of thing that she did. But she recognized what all true disciples of Jesus recognize. Right? which is that Jesus is worth sacrificing for. Right, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us giving things up, whether it's money or our desires or our very life. Right, Jesus says, if you've got to be willing to take up your cross and follow me, or you're not worthy of being my disciple. You have not really come to recognize how valuable I am, right? that I am God and that I'm worth giving up everything for. But this woman has recognized that, sacrifices um, appropriately, right, in the light of that, um, and that's what all of us do at some level who follow Jesus, right? There is much that we give up, not just possessions and money, though we do that as we give, um, not only to the church, but as we give to people who are in need and all that. We do that out of Uh, love for Jesus. Um, So her action, even though it's not repeatable, right? So we read this story and say, well, that's a beautiful story, but what am I supposed to do? Well, you can't do exactly what she did, but you can do the kind of thing that she did, which is be willing to give up things in order to follow Jesus, in order to honor Jesus, uh, because you realize that he's worthy. Judas, of course, is the foil for that in verse 10 and 11. When it says he went to the chief priests in order to betray him, um, it's uh, you know we've we've all heard this story probably all of our lives, um, but it can st- it's I think continues to um, you know every time you hear it to strike you how um, how black this part of the story is. I mean. They didn't approach him and try to turn his head with money, right? He came to them. It was his idea, right, to hand Jesus over. Um, They were looking for a way to get rid of him. And they probably never dreamed that one of his disciples would show up on their doorstep and say, hey, I can deliver you the guy you're looking for. I can I can put him right into your hands, and so when he when they heard that it says they were glad, right? and they promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So while one person is essentially giving up money, right, because she so values Jesus, 
somebody else is gaining money because he doesn't care enough about Jesus even to be loyal to him, right? Betrays him, um, turns him over. So it's, a, again, a, a powerful, poignant uh, contrast um, that highlights uh, how worthy Jesus is, right? how worthy he is of every sacrifice, of everything we give, everything we do, everything we offer to him. Um, other people might say, that's ridiculous. Why do you do that? You give how much of your money to the church? I don't understand. Why, why do you do that? Jesus says, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that you have done when you give uh, to me um, and in my name. So uh, thoughts, questions, comments?